If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's guest on Horse Chats might be a little bit of a familiar voice if you're an avid podcast listener, because we've got Piper Clem on today from The Played Horse. But before we actually introduce Piper, I just want to have a quick chat and remind you that the podcast is brought to you by International Horse College. The vision of International Horse College is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people. Have a look at the wide variety of horse-friendly courses now at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Piper, are you there? How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's good. Piper, I just want to tell people a little bit about you. They might recognise your voice. You know, if people listen to one podcast, I think they listen to others. Um, and it's Dr. Piper Clem, okay? And she's the owner and publisher of The Played Horse. And Piper, your mission is to educate young equestrians in every facet of our industry and to empower young women in particular to find their voices and their stories and to share them, okay? Now, you've spent your whole entire career focusing on education through various channels and the Playcast is one of them. And we'll talk to you a little bit about that, but I'd particularly like to talk to you about why is it your mission to empower young women in particular? And before we even start, I'm not quite sure, and I hate to put you on the spot, and I normally remind people beforehand, do you have a favourite quote, something that you would say regularly, something that drives you, that inspires you, something that you find yourself talking to people all the time and, you know, just repeating the same thing over and over and over? Is there anything about that you'd like to say before I um, ask a question about the? Yeah. I don't have a quote specifically, but I have a post-it on my desk and it has three words on it and it says metagame, shame, and compensation. And I think that almost every way that people and a lot of times horses act um, kind of comes down to those three things. So we want to believe that things are really straightforward and we all want things. I want things to be straightforward. I wish that, you know, if you acted the same way in 10 scenarios, it could start becoming predictable, but humans are really hard hard to predict. It's hard to have a lot of social interactions. And I have a ton of social interactions. So I try to really emphasize where people are coming from. And I think those three words kind of identify to me where everyone comes to a situation from. So compensation is just like your horse. Like when your horse um, might present that they're off on their left front, you know, it could actually be a right hind injury that they're compensating by putting more weight on their left front. And then that's where you're seeing um, the injury and people are the same way when they have kind of shortcomings or issues that they're trying to compensate for. They react in a variety of different ways and it can make it a lot easier to interact with other people to know, kind of have some understanding of where they're coming from or, or what they're trying to compensate for. Um, shame, I think, is unfortunately a huge part of our industry. Um, I think a lot of people in our industry feel shame that they don't have enough money and go to enough horse shows and don't have the right horse and don't have the right tack and don't have the right helmet and don't have the right this and that. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's hard to look around our industry and really appreciate what you have um, when you see people who have so much more. Um, and I think a lot of people um, 
whether they can communicate it or not, can't kind of wrap their head around um, that that little bit of shame that they have. And I think it really influences their actions. And then um, metagame. Are you familiar with the concept of metagame? No. If you could explain it, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, metagame is how you play the game based on the rules. So it's not about the game itself. It's about strategy for that. So essentially, you know, when you're in a competition, it's about riding your horse. But there are so many other factors to that. Like if you haven't read the rule book, if you have, you know, you might get eliminated because you make a mistake for not knowing the rule book. You can be the best horse rider and have the best horse book, uh, have the best horse in the competition, be the best horse rider and have everything to offer. But if you don't follow the rule book, if you start jumping before the buzzer, you know, if you, whatever, um, it doesn't matter how good you are. There's an underlying game going on besides the game. Like a lot of video gamers talk about metagame a lot, um, and it's very common there. We don't talk about it in our industry much, um, and I love to talk about it. And, you know, if you see it on, there's every, every sport has their version of metagame, their version of strategy. Um, every, like, television game show has their version of strategy. Um, you know, like Jeopardy is, you think it's a game about knowledge, but it's a game about knowledge of who can use a buzzer the fastest and risk the right amount for the daily double and be really strategic. And so there's so many ways that you can be smarter about our sport just by understanding it better and, and really making a pattern and that kind of stuff. And so those are kind of the three words that I keep up all the time because I, I think most conversations I have in the horse world and most times interact with people, it boils down to those three things. And if you can kind of explore where people are coming from, and what they're bringing to the table, um, it really helps me with being more empathetic and having better interactions and helping them more. Yeah, yeah, certainly something to think about there. Now, this mission, you know, to educate young equestrians in every facet of their interest industry, but to empower young women in particular to find their voices and stories, why that mission? What sort of started that off? Um, I come from a family of educators. Um, you know, it's pretty much all professors in my family, and none of them are horse people. And I wanted to do this this horse thing when I was a kid. Um, and my parents had no idea what they were <laughs> signing up for. Um, but I really carry their sense um, of, of purpose. They they have a ton of purpose, and they raise me with a ton of purpose about how much education can empower people and change your circumstances and, and how important it is. And coming into our industry, um, a lot of people have uh, less formal education or less what we would call traditional education, um, but they every time people learn more about horses, they make better decisions for horses. As a horse lover, I think the more we educate everyone, our horses benefit, you know, our people benefit. We can take better care of each other. Um, and so the more education we can have for everyone, the better decisions people can make, um, and the better care horses can have, and the more empathetic we can be. And, and I really believe in education in all forms. Um, that being said, I come from a very traditionally academic family, and um, I believe in that stuff also. But I also believe that 
anyone, um, we should be educating people anywhere they want to learn. If people want to learn from an Instagram post, we should meet them there with education. If people want to learn in conversation, we should meet them there in education. Anywhere people want to learn to me is an acceptable place to learn and I want to be part of it. And for young women in particular, I really believe that um, a lot of women have so much more voice than they feel entitled, able, whatever to pursue. And um, there's so many smart, talented young women with great stories who need a little more encouragement. Um, you know, I think I, I think of so many times where I've interacted with young men and young women at the same age um, and in, in random contexts, like um, a couple of years ago, I was at a horse show and I taught uh, a young lady how to drive stick shift in my car. And then a couple of weeks later, by chance, I taught a young gentleman who was the same age to drive shift in my car. And she got so frustrated and she would have said that she was the worst person ever at driving stick. And he stalled probably 10 times more than she did. <laughs> and, and he got out of the car and I was like, and was like oh, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> and it's just it, like that confidence gap. And it's not an ability gap. It's not a diligence gap. It's not anything else. And, and I think that with a little more encouragement and finding their voice, I, I really believe confidence comes from finding your own thing, putting yourself out there, risking things, and learning where you're right and where you're wrong and what you truly have to give. And I don't think we push people enough to try things on their own as a society, especially at a young age anymore and I think that the the ones that are really impacted by that are, are young women and I, I really want to give a voice and the encouragement to close that confidence gap so that results are more ability oriented and not hindered by a lack of confidence. You say anymore, do you think that confidence gap has changed? I mean, look back over a hundred years ago. Do you think that women and younger girls, teenagers are more confident now than they were a hundred years ago? Or do you think that's changed? I mean, what's your perspective on that? I think that people did stuff, you know, they, I really believe most people rise to expectations. Um, and a hundred years ago, we expected people to go work the farm and go be adults at a young age. And they did. And nowadays, like I see more and more young people who don't get their driver's license because when they can because they don't even really want the independence. They're scared of the independence. I, I see so much anxiety and so much, oh, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself out there unless it's the exact right thing. Or, you know, you meet with a student and they're like, well, well, tell me exactly how I should do it. And I'm like, I don't know. You have to do it. You know, you have to try things and see what works for you and what doesn't. And like, you know, my path that I took, where you are was 15 years ago. It doesn't work now. You know, it's, it's, you need to put yourself out there and you need to try things. And, um, I, I really see a lot of young people that are so busy waiting for everything to be perfect that they don't get started. And I don't think humanity was able to do that either gender a hundred years ago. <laughs> you didn't get started. You start. <laughs> and I do think with, you know, with social media and, and body image and, and shame and, um, you know, weight issues and all that, they impact women more than they impact men in society. And I, I think we have to keep an eye out on that and make sure that um, 
no one's going to live a life that's easy ever anywhere in the world in any circumstance. No one's life is easy. And to me, it's how do we give people proper coping mechanisms? So, you know, I'm not ever going to say to a young lady, oh, you're never going to be weight shamed or something, or this is never going to happen to you. It probably will. All of this stuff will probably happen. Um, But how do we give people good coping mechanisms so that they know whose opinion to respect in the first place, who they should be listening to, who's worthy of their respect. Um, Cause like I, I wake up to internet comments sometimes that I'm like, Oh, 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 oh boy. Oh boy. Um, and, and really in the beginning of the magazine stuff, I just, I did not have the coping mechanisms to handle that stuff. And I've developed them. And, and so I'm really passionate about putting coping mechanisms and, in people's hands. And, and it's, it's really the same in training the horses. I mean, um, I'm an amateur rider. I make a ton of mistakes and my horse has a ton of coping mechanisms so that he knows when I make a mistake, he can get me out of it. And he's confidence in that. Um, and I want, I want young people and young women, especially to have these coping mechanisms for this world. Yeah. Yep. I know that sometimes, you know, as a coach, people would want to a better horse, you know, especially in the situation where they've got a couple of horses to choose from and they want the better horse. And the question is, do you want the better horse or do you want to be a better rider? Absolutely. Now, Piper, you're really focusing on education, okay? You've got the Playcast, but you've got the Playcast as a magazine and also as a podcast. Which one came first and why? You know, how did you come into the, the podcast industry you know, obviously it's to educate people, which is, you know, how I started. But tell us a little bit about how you got started with the podcast particularly, but also was the magazine first or was one complementing the other? How did that work out? Yep. Um, so the magazine's been around since 2003, and um, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, the podcast is, I was an early listener to podcasts. I was like in like 2005, 2006, you know, when you had to download them all onto your iPod <laughs> one by one. Um, and I loved podcasting right from the start. I, I like to read, but, um, honestly, I get tired, um, reading a lot. I fall asleep <laughs> reading books. Um, and I just, when podcasts started coming out, it was just so such a natural fit to me. I'm, I really learn well, um, in an, audio format, the fact that you can do it while you're doing something else, you know, you're probably listening right now, driving or filling laundry or, you know, cooking or, you know, and I love that so much that you can kind of keep your brain engaged during mundane tasks. And I think podcasts are such a great place to learn about topics that you would never, you know, I'm not going to read a whole book on something, but I'll listen to a half hour podcast on just about anything. Like I think that's, it's a really good amount of time and a really good framework there. So I always wanted um, a Hunter Jumper podcast, uh, you know, a podcast about horse shows in particular. There wasn't one. And for years, um, I asked, like, all my friends, I'm like, will you start a podcast? Will you start a podcast? Like, I'll help you. And none of them would do it. And so in 2016, um, and Planet Horse Radio Network had been bugging me for a few years, too. And so in 2016, I was like, fine, if no one else will do it, I'll do it. Um, and I didn't, I'm kind of a very reluctant podcast host. Like I, um, I really wanted to listen my, I really wanted to listen to a podcast. I didn't want to host a podcast. I just wanted to listen to one. 
about horse shows. And um, it's really, I've really grown into loving it. Um, I just, I love it as a, the forum. Um, I love that, you know, that we've had some great interviews. It's really interesting to me. We've connected with a whole new set of people. Um, and so um, we're about 200 episodes in right now, and it's been um, amazing and uh, you know, to do around everything else and promote the rest of um, the enterprises we have. Um, it's just, you know, to me, it's everything I've dreamed of and more um, from um, from what I, you know, what I anticipated. And, you know, and I didn't, I had no idea it would be this successful. And, um, and people come up to me all the time and, you know, that it's but just been, it's been a great, trip on that and it's not something I necessarily was chosen to do for myself and um you know arguing bringing it back to the last question like I think that you know when you talk about that confidence thing I don't think I had the confidence without other people really encouraging me to kind of take the plunge and do it and so I'm really grateful that you know other people took the time to kind of give me that nudge and that that's what I really want to do for other people um the magazine so I, um, the magazine was established in 2003, um, and I bought it in 2014 and, um, it was kind of right at the cusp of a lot of the social media stuff and, you know, it was a great time to get in and really grow things and give it that online presence and, um, get the blog going and, and so many assets that we have of it. I have no <laughs> publishing background at all. Um, I, my PhD's in chemistry. And I worked on uh, contrast imaging agents um, in organic molecules for contrast agents and like MRI and PET scans and developing novel therapeutics like that. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows, once you're, <laughs> once you're a horse person, you are a horse person. It always brings you back. Um, and so my treat to myself when I finished my PhD was that um, I could go to a whole circuit, um, and just enjoy it. And so it was an eight week circuit in, um, Thermal, California. And, uh, when I finished my PhD, I was just going to go like, relax and enjoy it. Well, you know, when you've been going at that high level so much, you know, a million miles an hour, like <laughs> not having anything to do with a horse that lasted like a few days and then I was like, okay, I'm kind of bored. And I didn't know anyone there cause I'd never really lived there before at that time. So. I like I didn't know anyone and I was just trying to power down and um someone put a Facebook post up and they were looking for someone to cover the Grand Prix on Sunday and um I had never thought about it before. I never thought about how a magazine came really into existence. I'd never thought about, you know, that someone's out there in the rain and the blistering sun taking all those pictures, writing up all those press releases late at night and um I took the plunge and I, I covered the Grand Prix and all of these top riders, like for someone who's always asked a million questions my whole life and wanted to know and wanted to learn and wanted to understand more and basically been called annoying, um, to have all these top riders, like be so excited to tell me how they wrote a line and why they wrote a line and why the course is good for their horse. And, and all of this educational stuff, it was just a complete light bulb moment. And, um, and like I said earlier, like I, I really believe that education can be brought to people anywhere. And, um, 
on our side of stuff, no one was really doing, you know, in the US, no one was really doing stuff like that at the time. Um, no one was really trying to bring education to Instagram. You know, people were like, well, you know, kids should come to us and learn about the classics. And I'm like, well, why don't we just go to them and teach them the classics? Um, why don't, why don't we meet them on there? If they want to be on Snapchat or TikTok, like, let's meet them there. If they want to be on Instagram, if they want to text, <laughs> like, wherever people want to learn, let's, let's go there and teach them. Um, and, and so I, I came in with not really, um, so, yeah, so I started doing more and more with different publications and photography and um, writing and really, you know, there's not much actual business in being a freelancer. It's pretty rough out there. And I also found that I wasn't able to make the decisions that I thought were correct all the time. And so I took the plunge and uh, cold called around and I ended up buying the plot horse in 2014 and um it was an owner finance deal so i made a down payment and had monthly payments for two years um to the previous owner and that's how i was able to afford it and from there we just you know it's been uh, and the first you know <laughs> in the beginning i had no idea what i was doing i tried to mimic how it was before the best i could without making changes until i truly understood it and i really understood the processes and then once i felt like i understood all the mechanics of how it worked um, then it was off to the races. I mean, we, we've just grown in every dimension and our blog and adding the podcast in. And, and I, I truly think that we have made a tremendous impact on educating young riders and promoting education and helping people think more about the horses and the sport, um, mental game and fitness and all the stuff that they can control. I think it's so easy to be like, well, if I had a better horse or if I had more money or if I had this, that, or the other thing, I'd be better. And like, of course, you know, we've all had that pity party with ourselves. I have. Um, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of stuff I can control and I can control my fitness and I can control my mental game and I can control the decisions I make and not be penny wise, pound foolish. I can control my, you know, financial goals. I can control all of this stuff. And when you really talk about what you can control and work on that, this industry feels a lot less scary, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Piper, I really love your philosophy. You know, where people want to learn, let's go there and teach them. I think that's just fantastic. And, you know, you've got more of an educational background than me with professors in the family, I think as high as we go as a PhD. So, um, but it's the whole education bit. And I think that's why I started the International Horse College and then from there came to Horse Chats. And I love talking to people. I'm exactly the same as you. But 
just going to the people that you talk to on your podcast, do you think that there's certain core skills and character traits that someone needs to commence working in the industry? And this is regardless of knowledge, but their basic philosophy, understanding of life. What makes someone want to work in the horse industry? You know, like you said before, once you've got it, you've always got it. But what is it, do you think, that people have got? I, you know, I, I think the, the love of horses and the desire to spend our lives doing this is at some level like innate. Like I don't, like most people I talk to that love horses, like even if like they come from a non-horse family like me, just even at a young age, they just knew, they just had that the feeling. But I think, you know, what makes someone successful in the horse industry, I, I think it is like any other industry. It is not hard to be adequate at most things in life. Um, it is extremely difficult to be good or really good or exceptional. Um, and I think that if you want to dabble around at just about anything um, with any other sport, you know, biking, running, swimming, you know, football, anything else, like you, you know, if you want to dabble around, it is not hard to dabble around. It is not hard to have fun and, and not hard to be, you know, maybe lightly competitive or, you know, have a league or whatever. Um, but it is truly consuming to be exceptional at anything. And I think the horses are, you know, so much like that. And, and the people who are incredibly good writers have the same thing as incredibly good writers like they write all the time they write crap they write good stuff they edit they wake up and write they're disciplined about writing and they write and write and write and the top writers and the top everything the top farriers like my farrier is obsessed with horse feet she will talk to me about horse feet all day long all she thinks about is <laughs> angles and different things she's seen and she is so good because she is obsessed and this is what she does like this is she drives her truck around from appointment to appointment analyzing things thinking about it planning for next time and anyone who is truly committed like that is going to be good and it's it's just an obsession and you have to fail and you have to ride so many horses and not have you know have rides that go poorly and and it's just like writers who throw out you know things that they write or you know or have crap that they're not using or you know if you're not putting yourself out there and you're not failing regularly and you're not continuing to try and continuing to show up and using the data of your failures to make better decisions next time, you're not going to be successful, truly successful at any job, I think. Now, just going to another area of your life, the ponies. How many ponies have you got? I have about 16 ponies right now. So when I was a kid and my non-horse mom, my non-horse parents got uh, every, tw uh, they got me what every 12-year-old needs, which is an unbroke pony. And, um, but my parents uh, are business professors and so they wanted it to be a learning thing. And so I had to give a presentation of why I was getting a pony and then I had to keep track of all the finances, mileage to the barn, um, every lesson, every shoe, every blanket. And so this went on and on and my parents to their huge credit, let me make all the decisions. They let me, you know, decide what horse shows I wanted to go to and all this stuff. Um, and then they let me make all the decisions on the other end. And 
about what I wanted to do when she was trained and when she was a good pony. And, and she was so hard. Like she was a monster. Like, I mean, I think all two-year-old ponies are somewhat monsters and I had no idea, you know, we had no idea what we didn't know. Like, you know, it's set up for failure, but um, I just put in so much time that like, I think that like, I, I think I bored the pony death <laughs> over a few years. She was like, okay, you should ride me. I'm so bored. You tried to ride me. <laughs> um, but I had the diligence. Um, so she ended up being, uh, I started leasing her out and again, made every mistake in the book, learned from it, um, got a little better each time, each year. Um, and, uh, she went on to have a lot of success. And, um, so when I was 19, I bought my parents out of, um, all the money they put into my riding career growing up, um, every lesson, every trip to the barn, every, everything. And, um, I was telling this story to someone and then they said, um, uh, they were like, Oh, that's so mean. That's so mean that your parents did that to you. And a couple of days later I was talking to my mom and I was like, Oh, I was talking to someone. And they were like, that's so mean. That's so mean. She did that to you. And my mom goes, what? It's not like I charge you interest. Um, so <laughs> that's my mother. She's amazing. And so kind of throughout grad school and stuff, I started thinking like, okay, like maybe I could buy another pony. Maybe I can do this again, which is always a fatal horse mistake. (laughs) Anytime you have a good one, you're like, I'm a genius. I could do this again. You're always wrong. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, so I I thought that I was a genius and that I could do it again. Um, And so I got a few more ponies and then really made every mistake in the book and learned what I didn't know and all this stuff. And I, um, I met a great partner um, probably seven or eight years ago now, um, Emily Alec, and she is that obsession that we just talked about. I, like, she is obsessed with ponies. She's obsessed with training ponies. Um, she sells her leases, more ponies than anyone else in North America, and she is incredible to work with, and she always... You know, I think what what I see a lot in the industry is because there's not really a high barrier of entry to become a trainer, to become a horse dealer, or this kind of stuff, um, that a lot of people think that they're honest and think that they're doing right by you, but if you're ignorant, you can't actually be honest. And, you know, so one of the things I've seen is, like, you know, and I, I see it over and over, people with the best intentions, like, literally, like, if you ask them, like, oh, would you ever scam someone? They would never scam someone. But by not by trying to represent themselves as a someone qualified to put together a deal without actually having the expertise, they are kind of scamming people. And, you know, I just, Molly's knowledge is unbelievable. Like I think I know a lot about ponies and I've learned a lot over the years and she just, hers is stratospherically, she has stratospherically more knowledge than I do. Um, and so getting to partner with her has been an incredible experience. For me to be just around, you know, you always want to be surrounded by the greatest people that you can in every arena. And I I feel honored to be around her greatness. And she always puts a pony first and always makes a long-term decision. And her horse care is phenomenal. So the ponies are a passion of mine, um, but I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't have the right partnership in place. And um, I'm really fortunate that I do. Yeah. So you've got 16, you said. Yeah, yeah, because you looked a little tall to be having ponies, so that sort of explains it, yeah. Oh, I don't ride them. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a business. It's a lease business, yeah. What do you think with that business, 
was the hardest thing you had to overcome. Now, we're not talking money because money's always a problem, but, you know, to get into that leasing ponies, you've got 16 ponies and it's a business, but what do you think was the hardest bit? I actually, you know, the interesting thing and, and that I say to people is like once you start getting the infrastructure together, you know, I, I think it's less stressful to own a bunch than it is to own maybe one or two because if you're leasing out one or two and one has an injury or something like that, you know, it's, like a hundred percent of your portfolio. And so I'm at a point right now where I have a very diverse portfolio of different bunnies that do different jobs. Um, and so I, I think it's less stressful to have more, which is a bit counterintuitive. And the other thing is, you know, and, and this does touch on money a little bit, but like the infrastructure of having a business like that is it's incredible to build. And so like, you know, if I think about it, like, uh, you know, back at the envelope, like Emily probably has $50,000 of pony bits just sitting in her barn and anything that comes up and anything that happens, like she has that bit, not only does she have that bit, she has that bit in pony size and, you know, can make it happen. And just like a mass, yeah, like a mass. And that's one item, you know, we're not talking about everything else in the barn. And so kind of amassing the collections of all the right things. I, you know, I really think just takes decades to get all the right you know, pony-specific tack and to get all the right um, pieces like that. And then I would say the biggest thing is relationships. Having a lease business is um, we're getting the ponies back every year um, and have to lease that again next year. And we love the ponies and we want to keep them their whole careers and we like to keep an eye on them and we want them happy and sound and fit and have children who love them for both moral and emotional reasons because we love them, but also for business reasons so that they can go back out on lease next year. And really learning, like, who does a good job, who takes good care of them, you know, who keeps them at a good weight, both on the fat and inside, and and what programs really make them happy, you know, because everyone's philosophies are a little different. And having a pony that can go out and go in every different program and still be successful is, is the trick, right? Because um, some of these programs are, like, in cities and don't have any turnout, and some of them are out in the country, and they, they can go out all night, you know. And, like, there's every different you know, different trainers will even this or that, or, you know, want them lunch more organic or want them, you know, quieter or, you know, want them to do this division or that division or, you know, there's so many different factors in this that really having that circle of people that you trust to send your animal to for a whole year that you might not even see it and that it'll send it back in the shape that it left in or better. Um, you know, you inevitably make a lot of mistakes. You, you trust a lot of people and then, when they come back next year and want to lease another pony, you <laughs> might be out of ponies. <laughs> what about the podcast? What do you think? And I, I know I've had challenges. There's certainly challenges there and money aside. To get your podcast started, what was your biggest challenge? Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that I, um, you know, I, I think that the magazine was able to uh, financially support the podcast until the podcast was able to support itself. So in a lot of ways, I um, had a, very much a cushion there that a lot of podcasters don't have. And I see, I grumble about this in other aspects of things. So, you know, there are other magazines where people own a magazine and then also own something else in the industry that is the actual money driver. And so they kind of run the magazine at a loss to drive the money into their actual product they're trying to promote or something like that. And, you know, and the podcast was that for us for, I would say the first two years, um, the magazine just supported the podcast and we didn't really worry about it. Now the podcast is basically financially at break even. 
And again, I don't worry about it that and I don't worry about it like making a salary for me because I view it as an arm of the magazine and a growth place for the magazine. So I think I'm under a lot less pressure than most podcasters because I, I don't put the same um, financial expectations on the podcast. Um, but with that said, like, I think that I, you know, I, I do, I, I think it's really hard with all the travel and everything we have going on to, to find the time to sit down and do it continuously. Like just like anything else that you do, you know, it's fun and novel the first how many hundred times, but you know, at some point it becomes work and then you have to balance that work with everything else you're doing. And um, we record on Mondays a lot and I go to like, you know, in a normal year, not now, I'm at home all the time now. Um, But in a normal year, I go to 40 or 50 horror shows. And so I'm like, you know, some days just dragging, you know, getting um, my headset on on Monday because like, oh, my flight was delayed. I didn't get home until 2 a.m. And had clients all morning. And and, and I I do think it's, it's, to put out a good podcast, I I think it's exhausting on um, the host and, um, and, So I think that that maintaining excellence through everything that happens in life over years, I mean, and and you're the same way. I mean, it's the amount of stuff that happens in your life over years is like, it's easy to say, oh, I won't miss a week, you know, for whatever, 12 weeks or maybe even a year. But the the amount of stuff that just occurs in life over many years is, is hard to sustain. Yeah, yeah. What about, you know, and I'm think, asking you this particularly because your parents were, you know, you said they were business um, professors. So I'm really interested. A common fault for people when they take on a horse business, you know, we want to get involved with horses and because we're passionate about the subject, you know, and there's, I can't, oh, you know, I've got actually a, an ebook that's 101 careers in the horse industry. And I keep thinking about all these different careers and businesses and everything else within the horse industry. But, you know, some people say I had a horse business once, but then I couldn't sustain it or whatever. What do you think is a common fault? And again, I know there's the financial, but lots of businesses start off at a loss, but a common ongoing fault that you see with people when they start businesses, any sort of business within the horse industry. I think within the horse industry, um, people very much confuse like, looking fancy or being fancy with making money. And so you get all kinds of, you know, different curtains or drapes or matching trunks or all this stuff. And then, you know, there's so many things like going out to dinner and being seen with the right people or, you know, going to different, you know, maybe VIP parties or or having a VIP table in general, or, you know, there's so many different places to spend money that make you look fancy and might make you feel good that are not about the horse and not about your business. And, you know, and I'm not saying that they never are, you know, horses get sold in the VIP tent, you know, people talk to each other, like there are rational business expenses here, but like it can, it can, it's a slippery slope. I see lots of people sliding down the slope. You know, I think the people who truly make money at this have a much more utilitarian approach than the people who are here for other reasons. And, and if you're here for other reasons, like you're, welcome. You're welcome to be here for other reasons. But if your business's goal is to, you know, make money or stay in business, you know, I I think you need to have a, 
utilitarian approach. Um, another thing is just knowing how much stuff costs, and it's not that stuff, like, I think most horse professionals do not know where every dollar in their business is. You know, when you really sit down and talk to them, do they really know how much a bag of shavings is? Do they really know, you know, is board a loss leader? Um, where they make if board is a loss leader? Are they making that money up the horse shows? Like, how much money... How many horse shows do clients have to go to a month to make up the loss leader board? You know, I, I think that these business questions, you know, it's a lot of people don't know their economics. So it's not that like just it's hard to make money. It's that, like knowing what about your business makes money and what doesn't. So to go back to my podcast example, in the beginning, I really wanted the podcast to make money out of the gate and I wanted it to be in the black out of the gate. And, you know, you remember what it was like, even just a few years ago, like people didn't know what podcasts were trying to explain to old people and decision makers and sell ads for a podcast was like basically impossible. And, you know, finally one day I sat down and I said, okay, look at your numbers. Like you spent 10 hours trying to sell a podcast ad for a hundred dollars yesterday. And, you know, today you spent 90 minutes and sold and a thousand dollar ad in the magazine. Okay, like if I look at that rationally, I'm better off letting the podcast go a loss until it picks itself up a little bit more organically and helps me out a little bit and selling full page magazine ads than I am to beat my head against the wall explaining people how a podcast works. So, you know, I, I think and, and there's so many equivalents on that with board and horse showing and training horses and um so I teach a college class on this on um the economics and the metagame of horse businesses. And one of the examples from class this year was um, uh, this trainer who realized that owning the truck and trailer himself was a bad, um, was a bad deal for him. And because he could, if he spent the day before the horse show driving all the horses back and forth, he wasn't at the horse show talking to people selling horses. And he realized that he could sell a horse in the amount of time it took him to drive all the trips back and forth of the truck and trailer so he's putting out, you know, a hundred grand of his own money at least to buy a truck and trailer to have it to ship the horses back and forth. And then he's spending all this time and all this paperwork making sure that the trucks, all the paperwork's done all the time and all the tires are pressure and taking all this risk and driving the truck back and forth to the horse show. You know, because the six horse, if he brings 15 horses or 18 horses to the horse show, he's got to make a couple trips. And then when he did all of that and how much paperwork and time and effort it took him to be a shipping business, he actually made more money by trying to sell horses during that time. So then he changed his business around so that he uses, uses commercial shipper. He then doesn't have to think about any of the time. You know, he's not spending any of the time making sure that all the inspections are good and the tires are pressure and that they're passing emissions. Like, all of that stuff's off his plate. He spends that time selling horses, and he actually makes more money. Yeah, yeah, that certainly makes a lot of sense because I do ask people about that, you know, what's a common fault and they invariably come back and say money. Well, you're actually not saying that. You're saying that's not necessarily the problem. It's, it's the economics and the making sure you know where your money is and making sure you know your prices and working out your hourly cost and everything else. It's so much more important than just how I haven't got enough money. Yeah. And can you do things, you know, less fancy? Is there a way to, you know... Are there different vendors you can, you know, where can you cut corners and where can you not cut corners with good horse care? I mean, I think that's such a fundamental one because, you know, there are places that people can cut that they don't. And then there are places you absolutely should not cut, which you should not. Yeah. Yeah. 
Piper, what are you looking forward to now? What have you got planned in the next, you know, whatever, one year, five years? I'm sure you've got something there because you, you seem to be a pretty organised person. Uh, well, it's kind of hard to plan right now. <laughs> but, um, so last year we debuted our, our children's book series, um, Show Strides, which I'm really proud of. Um, it's a chapter book for middle grade readers. It's on Kindle and Audible um, also and in print on um, on Amazon. And the first three books are out. And they're, what I'm really excited about these books is that there are no mean girls and, you know, there's no bullying of other girls. And it's girls uh, and boys too. Um, there's a, a boy main character introduced in book three um and tally and mac are the two girls and they have regular horse struggles and they work together and they problem solve and they learn about riding and learn about horses and um and it's not you know there there is no um girl that they're bullying there is no kind of mean girl um because to me that's just not that's not where we are in 2020 it's not realistic you know i i think that it's a really good feel good concept book series that I'm really excited about and I'm really excited for for more people to read and have more books come out. So that's definitely on the horizon. Um, we've been publishing a few more books we're working right now um, in the next few months with Trafalgar um, Square Press and uh, going to be putting out a second edition of Jeff Teal's book on hun- uh, riding hunters, jumpers, and equitation um, for Kindle and print for now. And I'm, I'm hoping for Audible. Um, and I, I think it's a fabulous book. It's one of the books that, um, I teach out of for one of my college courses. And then I'm also teaching, I taught three online college credit courses for equestrians, um, that had open enrollment, um, earlier this year. Um, and they were a huge success. And we talked a lot about the concepts that we've talked about, um, right now with a lot of great interviews with people in the sport and um, lectures and reading and podcasts and um, it, and forum discussions. So they were online, but everyone could participate from the horse show or wherever they were. Um, and that those went really well. So I'm really excited to expand those and, and have some more more of that stuff. And then, you know, just the daily uh, getting the magazine out and keeping the blog moving and the podcast going, uh, you know, just keeping all the moving parts <laughs> going is incredibly time consuming. And um, so we're just kind of trying to maintain all the things we've been trying to build for the last few years. Piper, it's just been wonderful talking to you. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are going to say, yeah, yeah, that's Piper. We know Piper. Yep. Yep. Um, If you're going to summarize a message for our listeners, you know, besides go to my podcast, we'll talk about contact details in a bit, but do you have a message, something that you'd like them to think about, you know, just go away, think about within the horse world, the horse industry? I just want everyone to feel empowered that there's so much you can learn. There's so many good books in this industry. There's so many good lectures online. There's so many good old horsemen who may, might be sitting around with not enough to do right now who would love to tell you stories and love to give you advice. And, um, you know, education is in your control in today's world with the internet, um, you know, and all these podcasts and all this content, you know, it's in your hands. It's, it's your job to actually learn as much as you can and, and you have the power to do it and there's no financial barrier and there's no other barriers. It's just work. And, and the really good horsemen I know all read a lot. They all take a lot of notes. They all think about the sport obsessively. And, and try to put new data in and, and try to make better conclusions. And um, 
I, I hope everyone listens feels empowered that they can take control of their own sport, their own riding career, and and really sit down and and read and listen and watch and and be open for education in every form that it comes into you. Oh, the perfect, lovely message. Piper, the best way to contact you. You know, if people are saying, I want to listen more, I want to contact you for something, ask your advice, what would you say? What's the best way? Is it to go to your website? Uh, Theplaidhorse.com and the podcast, you can listen every week. Um, It's on Horse Radio Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can search for the podcast and listen to us there. Um, On theplaidhorse.com, we have every full issue of the magazine on the things behind a paywall. You can read everything. And then um, check out show slides on Amazon. And um, yeah, and my email address is paper at theplaidhorse.com and I read every single email that comes in. Perfect. All right. Thanks very much, Piper, and looking forward to catching up with you again soon. I'm sure that we've got many more conversations that we can have. So thanks for chatting to us today. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.